It's Thursday, April the 16th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Europe's lockdown conundrum and America's plunging retail sales. First, the world in brief. Ursula von der Leyen, the European Commission's president, outlined conditions that member states should meet before lifting their lockdowns. These include a significant decrease in the spread of the virus, sufficient healthcare capacity and large-scale testing. Chancellor Angela Merkel, believing Germany to be on the right path, announced plans to reopen some schools and shops in early May. America's latest retail figures showed the dramatic effect of the pandemic on spending habits. According to the Department of Commerce, 9% less was spent in March across a range of categories in bricks and mortar and online shops, in bars and restaurants, and on cars and petrol than in February. This was the biggest month-on-month drop since this series began in 1992. The G20 Group of Nations said they had agreed to freeze bilateral government loan repayments for the poorest countries until the end of the year. Mohammed Al-Jadan, the finance minister of Saudi Arabia, which is hosting the G20 meetings this year, said the moratorium could free up more than $20 billion for countries to tackle the COVID-19 pandemic. The global reaction to news that America would stop funding the World Health Organization while it conducts a review was, at the very least, plaintive. President Donald Trump's decision was a source of deep regret to the EU, most concerning to Russia, and a dangerous step in the wrong direction, according to the American Medical Association. Mr. Trump had accused the UN agency of failing in its response to COVID-19. President Moon Jae-in's centre-left Democratic Party won South Korea's general election, with his governing coalition likely to take 180 out of 300 seats in the National Assembly. Voters forgave the government its several corruption scandals, rewarding Mr Moon's adept handling of the coronavirus. Despite the pandemic and strict health precautions at polling stations, turnout was the highest since 1992. China's top official in Hong Kong called for controversial national security legislation in response to the pro-democracy protests that racked the city last year. Luo Huining warned against what he called the erosion of the rule of law. In 2003, an attempt to pass similar legislation, outlawing acts of subversion against the Chinese government, was abandoned after mass demonstrations. Greenland's ice sheets lost around 600 billion tonnes of water to melting last year, its biggest drop in surface mass since records began, according to a new study. Shrinkage from the ice sheet, which is the world's second largest after Antarctica's, resulted in a 1.5mm rise in sea level. And editor's note, The Economist is making some of its most important coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic freely available to readers of The Economist today, our daily newsletter. For details, visit our hub at www.economist.com forward slash coronavirus. And now, here's today's agenda. Batten down the hatches, banks' earnings. Morgan Stanley, one of America's giant banks, will report earnings today. The results come on the heels of grim figures already published by J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo. This quintet's earnings were around two-thirds lower than in the first quarter of last year, dragged down by an extra $19 billion worth of loan loss provisions they put in place, largely to deal with the effects of the pandemic. 
More such provisions may be required through the rest of the year if economic activity remains depressed. Loan losses under the worst-case scenario described by JP Morgan Chase are five to six times higher than provisions made in the first quarter. One bright spot in particular, trading revenue might help Morgan Stanley, which has a large investment banking and market business. After a torrent of activity in volatile markets, trading revenues climbed to all-time highs, up by around a third year-on-year at Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase. Shut down and starve, Pakistan's creaky lockdown. Pakistan has extended its lockdown for a further fortnight in a bid to tackle the pandemic, but has also eased restrictions on certain industries. The world's fifth most populous nation says it must choose between stopping the coronavirus and seeing its poor starve. Limitations on a wide range of industries have been lifted. Construction, manufacturing, mining, book selling, stationery and plant nursery work all appear on the list. Such is the number of sectors exempted, those people told to remain at home will find their resolve tested. Indeed, hours after the new rules were announced, the streets of big cities were noticeably busier. Leading clerics and religious parties have said that they will no longer abide by bans on congregational prayers. Meanwhile, Imran Khan, the Prime Minister, has asked for debt relief from big creditors. We do not have the money to spend on already overstretched health services and secondly to stop people from dying from hunger, he said. Bottoming out America's labour market In the space of three weeks, more than 16 million Americans have applied for unemployment benefits, an increase unprecedented in the country's history. This suggests that the unemployment rate, which before the pandemic was at a five-decade low of 3.5%, could already be 10% and possibly far higher. Figures for last week, released today, are unlikely to bring good news. Millions more Americans will have made their first claim for unemployment insurance. Economists are now asking themselves how high American unemployment will rise. Some estimates suggest that it will reach 30% or more. Things probably will not get that bad. Some firms are hiring, and measures to incentivize small firms to hold on to staff are being rolled out. A top unemployment rate in the region of 15% looks likely. Even this would mean more Americans out of work than at any time since the Great Depression. Down to the wire, extending the Brexit deadline. The chief Brexit negotiators, Michel Barnier for the EU and David Frost for Britain, have resumed talks over future relations. Little time remains, though, to narrow the gap in the side's positions before the end of December. That is when the present transition agreement ends and Britain must start trading with the EU on World Trade Organization terms if a deal has not been reached. The EU withdrawal treaty allows the deadline to be extended by up to two years. The EU is happy to do this, whereas Britain resists it. Many trade experts expect that, with COVID-19 all-consuming, the government will soften this position by the end of June, when a decision must be made. Yet Boris Johnson, Britain's Prime Minister, hates the notion of Brexit extensions, such as those his predecessor, Theresa May, had to accept repeatedly. So his government has made it unlawful for ministers even to ask for such a thing. Back in the firing line, Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen. A week ago, Saudi Arabia declared a unilateral ceasefire in its five-year campaign in Yemen, but the business of war appears to be continuing as usual. Saudi jets have resumed their bombardment as the Houthis, a group of Iranian-armed Shia rebels, try to advance on several fronts. 
The kingdom, which intervened on behalf of the Yemeni government, had hoped to extricate itself with a call to unite against COVID-19. But the Houthis, entrenched in the capital Sana'a, want to exact a price. They have threatened major escalation unless Saudi Arabia ends its sea and air blockade, pays reparations for war damage, and recognizes them as the legitimate rulers. They are already redoubling efforts to take Marib, an oil-rich city and stronghold of the Saudis' local allies. And they warn of worse to come, possibly including a cross-border offensive against a southern Saudi city. Virus or no virus, says a Houthi spokesman, the fighting goes on. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Rosalind Franklin, who died on this day in 1958. Science and everyday life cannot and should not be separated. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.